Thanks again uh, for being with us today for TCC at Home Together. Uh, if you have your Bible, we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke, which is the third uh, book of the New Testament, the Gospel of Luke, uh, verses 26 through 66. Uh, as we uh, spend our time in the Gospel of Luke uh, and we look at the birth of Christ, we what we see in the uh, in the Gospel of Luke and, and what's really called the first advent uh, is an unexpected uh, advent, an unexpected Christmas when God breaks through the silence of 400 years and announces the birth of John. And then following on the heels of that announcement that we looked at last week, uh, the angel Gabriel comes to Mary and announces the birth of Jesus, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. You know, when we think about birth announcements and gender reveals, they've become uh, quite the thing uh, today. There's a lot of pressure uh, put upon uh, new parents to uh, announce the birth of their child in unique or creative ways. And this is especially true with uh, gender reveals. Um, you know, there uh, has become a whole kind of uh, niche industry about uh, figuring out how to, uh, how to announce the, the gender of your child. And uh, some of these gender reveals uh, have gone terribly wrong. I'm sure you've heard the stories of uh, gender reveals sparking wildfires in, in various places. Even a terrible story of a gender reveal that led to a plane crash uh, in one particular instance. And I, I was looking up some of these stories, and, um, and this one uh, couple, they were announcing the, the birth of their boy. And so uh, why they did this, I don't know. They decided to take a watermelon and inject it with blue jello. Um, and, you know, rather than like throwing the watermelon down uh, and shattering it and, you know, revealing the jello, what they decided to do uh, is to, to get an alligator. I, I guess this is like in the panhandle of Florida or maybe in Louisiana or something. And uh, they, they decided uh, that they were going to get this alligator and they're going to have the alligator chomp on the watermelon and reveal the blue jello inside. Uh, but in order to get that set up, the dad to be had to wrestle the alligator to get it in uh, position and ends up getting hurt because he was bitten by the alligator that he was trying to get to bite the watermelon to reveal to the world that he was having a boy. Uh, and, and you hear it and you're like, wouldn't it have just been easier to be like, hey, uh, we're having a baby boy. Isn't that exciting, right? Um, it it kind of reminds me, I might date myself a little bit about uh, the old Geico commercial. Uh, there's this dad who uh, comes to the to the phone in the lobby. This is why it dates myself. He comes to a payphone in the lobby at the um, at the hospital. I'm not sure uh, they have those anymore. But uh, he picks up the phone and he calls collect. Um, and um, and he says, yeah, uh, you need to call such and such a number. Um, uh, tell him it's Bob, first name, uh, last name. Uh, we oughta baby eats a boy. Uh, and so uh, the operator calls, uh, you know, Bob's parents and Bob's dad picks up the phone and they're like, uh, yeah, collect call from Bob. We ought a baby eats a boy. And he says, no, thank you. Hangs up the phone. Uh, the dad uh, looks at his wife and she says, who was it? And he said, oh, it was Bob. Uh, they had a baby and it's a boy. Uh, and Geico commercial comes on and it says, don't cheat the phone company. Save money the legal way. Get Geico. Um, you know, so, uh, you know, there used to be simple ways uh, to announce the birth uh, and the gender of your child. But uh, in fact, as we look at the Gospel of Luke, uh, Luke 1, 26 through 38, uh, takes us to a birth announcement and, and at the same time a gender reveal uh, all at the same time, which is the very heart of Christmas. The very heart of Advent is the announcement and the coming of Jesus, our long-awaited Savior. 
We just sang uh, that song, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. We're waiting for him to come uh, as uh, our Savior. And this is true in its uh, original context as the people of Israel were longing for God to send a Savior who would rescue them from their bondage, who would deliver them according to God's promise. And what we see in uh, the announcement of the birth of Jesus is promised salvation that comes about in the most unexpected way. What I want us to do is I want us to look at this um, promised salvation that comes about in this unexpected way through uh, reading uh, Luke chapter 1 verses 26 through starting uh, in verse 26 and we'll read down uh, through 38 to begin with. But then what I want us to do is I want us to step back and I want us to look through the lens of Mary, of of how we should respond to the announcement of this unexpected salvation that comes to us through Christ. So uh, read with me, if you would, uh, starting in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. It says, In the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God in a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great. And he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her, uh, who he has called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. See, God has brought about salvation, a promised salvation that we see from the Old Testament and he's brought it about in the most unexpected ways. He's brought it about uh, in, in an unexpected place. We see uh, in verse 26 that in the sixth month, uh, this is now in reference to what we just learned in the previous part of this passage about the birth of John the Baptist, the announcement of his birth. It's been six months since the angel Gabriel visited Elizabeth and visited Zechariah to tell Zechariah of Elizabeth's pregnancy uh, that was to come. And it's been, this, it's been six months since, and it says now that the angel Gabriel was sent from God, not to Jerusalem, not to Rome, but to Galilee, a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Nazareth was uh, the kind of place uh, that uh, that no good thing comes from. You know, the the saying is, as we look later in the the life of Jesus, what good can come from Nazareth? It was was seen as kind of uh, just low on the totem pole, a place that you didn't want to be. Uh, you, You name uh, you, you, wherever you're from, you probably can name a place that fits the bill of Nazareth, right? 
Uh, you know, we uh, here in Ann Arbor, we, you know, we would think of this would be like something good coming from uh, Columbus, right? Like uh, what, what good could come uh, from Columbus or Lansing? You know, you, you think about that place that uh, is despised, is avoided, that people go out of their way to avoid if they can. That Nazareth was that kind of place that had that kind of reputation, that it was seen as, uh, as an insignificant place, even a despised place by some. And it's there that God sends Gabriel. You see the intentionality of God, that God is bringing about salvation in this unexpected place by sending the angel Gabriel to Nazareth. And we see that in verse 27, it not only comes, the salvation comes not only in an unexpected place, but to an unexpected person to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. We see that Joseph comes from a great line. He comes from the house of David. Uh, No small thing, no insignificant thing. And yet uh, we find out that he's married, he's engaged to, um, to a woman named Mary. And it says in the latter half of verse 27, and the virgin's name was Mary. Mary is likely a teenage girl who's betrothed, and and betrothed is like engagement, but yet like more serious. You get betrothed, uh, and to break the betrothal was is is almost like having a divorce of sorts. Um, And uh, and and about a year after your betrothal, you had the official wedding ceremony, and so everything's set, uh, right? Like everything is good. She's married to uh, a man with with some credentials, with some honor, with some dignity, and. Things are looking up for her. She's betrothed and things uh, inevitably are moving in a, in a good direction. They probably already are imagining the children that they will have and the place that they will live and uh, Joseph continuing the work of his family. And, and now this unexpected person receives the news that she is going to give birth to a child, to a child that won't come through the normal means uh, that um, that one would expect, what, but would be born in a supernatural, miraculous way in order for God to bring about his promised salvation. It says that the angel Gabriel um, announces this promised salvation in an unexpected manner because he says to Mary, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Now, you know, there's, there's kind of a whole industry of uh, books that have propped up about people having experiences near death where they go to heaven or they have this interaction uh, with an angel. And, you know, it strikes me in every encounter in the Bible when somebody experiences an angel is either they confuse the angel with God because there's this sense of glory that comes from uh, being before an angel or there's this sense of being terrified, like what in the world and unsettling because they're experiencing um, this revelation, this Uh, God sending his angel to appear to him. And it says that Mary uh, was greatly troubled and she tried to discern what kind of greeting this would be. And and it's the angel who has to say, don't be afraid. Um, In all these books that talk about these experiences with God, there's this coming back and telling, you know, these fun things that happened or these uh, experiences that happened. And uh, look, I, I, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to rule them all out of hand uh, without uh, fair consideration, but uh, at the basis of what we see in the scriptures is when God shows up, God's people fall down 
And God's people are, are humbled and, and there's a great sense of fear and trembling. And it's the angel who says to her, do not be afraid. You found favor with God. And here's the unexpected manner that God brings salvation. She says, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall name his name Jesus. The gospel of Matthew will tell us, you shall name his name Jesus for he will save God's people from their sin. He'll be great. Not just great among men like John the Baptist, but he'll be great and the son of the Most High. John would be the prophet of the Most High. Jesus is the son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him a throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. This is the announcement of the birth of Jesus. This is the promised salvation coming in an unexpected way. It truly is then, in a sense, unexpected salvation. God has chosen to use the weak and the despised to bring about his purpose and to accomplish his mission. You know, it it really is true to God's character that he works in this way. Paul will talk about it in 1 Corinthians of how God chooses the weak to shame the strong. God chooses the foolish to to shame those who are powerful and mighty. God does this so that we know that it's coming from his hand. This isn't our doing. This salvation isn't from us. This isn't our making. It's God taking the initiative to accomplish our salvation. And because it's God who takes the initiative, choosing the weak and the despised, going to the unexpected places and to the unexpected people to bring about a salvation in an unexpected way, it's only because of that that God gets all the glory. That we have to testify that this is from God. Even as Mary uh, takes in what the angel is saying, we see that she is blessed. We see that she is favored. But Mary is blessed and favored not because of, uh, of some immaculate conception in which she was spared original sin uh, or, or in some uh, sense because she was special, but she is blessed because God has chosen to use her. Our Catholic friends wrongly elevate Mary to a place of, of somehow interceding for us before God or, or us viewing her in this special way. But what, what we get wrong is that Mary is blessed because God chose her. Mary doesn't stand before us and God, but God chooses to use Mary to bring about the one who is the mediator for us before God. And we too... Can, can share the identification of being blessed as Mary does because God has turned his face towards us. God has chosen us, chosen to use us. And we see how God does that uh, with Mary. And, and God brings about this salvation in this unexpected way. And, and, and what we see here in this announcement is really uh, the, the announcement of the virgin birth promised in Isaiah. If you go and look at Isaiah 7, 14, God said to Isaiah, to the people of Israel, that he was going to bring about salvation through a child born to a virgin. It was a, a prophecy that had certain elements of fulfillment, a partial fulfillment in its time through uh, Isaiah's own child that uh, yet would remain unfulfilled until the coming of Christ. In Isaiah 7, 14, we see where it says that God says to his people, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. 
Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall name him Emmanuel. God with us. Later, as Isaiah describes this child who is to come, who's to bring light to those who sit in darkness, it says that God will give us a child, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end, and on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the promised salvation coming about in unexpected ways. Yet, just as God had said, it would be through the line of David and God would establish uh, his own son, God with us on a throne and with a kingdom that would have no end. That's exactly what the angel Gabriel announces to Mary. This is the salvation that Israel was waiting for, that God has brought about in the most unexpected way. And for us, as we look at this today, it's also something that, that does strike us in somewhat of an unexpected manner, somewhat of an odd manner, that, that God would bring about his Savior through uh, this miraculous, supernatural virgin birth. See, the virgin birth is foundational to our understanding of uh, of Christianity, uh, to our understanding of who Jesus is, and to our understanding of how Jesus accomplishes salvation for us. You see, salvation didn't come through a coronation. But salvation came through the incarnation. It didn't come through Jesus being crowned king. It came first through Jesus being born of a virgin. We just sang about it. And come thou long expected Savior. When you, when you think about how God uses worship and uses music to help teach theology, it can be so rich, especially during the Advent season. Listen to the second verse of uh, the song we just sang. Born thy people to deliver. Born a child and yet a king. Born to reign in us forever. Now thy gracious kingdom bring. By thine own eternal spirit, rule in all our hearts alone. And by thine all-sufficient merit, raise us to thy glorious throne. Born a child and yet a king. Born to reign in us forever. His kingdom will have no end. Jesus is the promised uh, child to be born from the line of David, who, through whom God would establish his kingdom to rule and reign forever. Not first and foremost in an in a earthly kingdom, but in a spiritual kingdom in the hearts of those who would trust and receive what God was bringing about through Jesus. And, and then in the fullness of time when God, would return, when God does return and Jesus comes again to establish uh, His reign as it is in heaven to be fully on earth. That's what we await today. That's what we hope in today. But when we think about the incarnation, we think about the virgin birth, I, I want to encourage us just from a um, kind of a, a doctrinal, theological perspective to think rightly about the virgin birth and what it means for us in our faith. The virgin birth teaches us some essential truths that are important for us to understand about Jesus. And I want to give you three that are foundational uh, to help us to understand this unexpected salvation. First, the virgin birth teaches us that Jesus is fully God. 
Jesus isn't born in a normal manner. He's not born to an earthly father. He's not born through the normal means of conception. He's born in a supernatural way. It says uh, in, uh, <clears throat> in verse 31, when the angel says, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. See, Jesus comes into the world uh, through uh, the virgin birth and demonstrates to us that he's not uh, just another human being. He is, in fact, God who has taken on flesh. It's God who has come to us. That's what the prophecies were saying in Isaiah. That's what the angel is announcing. And, and that's what we must wrap our minds around is that Jesus has come and the, the birth of Jesus isn't just the birth of any other child. It's the birth of Emmanuel, God with us. The virgin birth teaches us that Jesus is fully God. And it also teaches us that Jesus is fully man. You see, God chose for Jesus to be born as a child. God himself took on flesh because God had to become like us to redeem us from our sin. We see in Hebrews, uh, in, in Hebrews chapter 2, it says this, uh, well, if you, uh, if you look there, as it talks about uh, how, how God condescended and came down to us. And it says um, <clears throat> that he, uh, he became like us. And in order to, uh, to save us from our sin. <clears throat> if you look there uh, in Hebrews uh, chapter 2, <clears throat> verse 14, it says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Jesus took on flesh in order to redeem us. He became like us in order to save us. And the reason Jesus' death on the cross satisfies the wrath of God is because Jesus wasn't just a, a man hanging on a cross. He wasn't a criminal. He was the sinless Son of God, the, the second person of the Trinity who's eternally existed. And the fullness of time came and took on flesh became a baby. The one who created the world was born an infant, laid in a manger, grew up, and around the year age of 30 began a ministry in which he began to teach about the kingdom of God and what it meant to enter the kingdom. And he began to show how God was going to renew and, and make all things new through his miracles and through his teaching. But at the core of why he came was so that he could go to the cross as our substitute, bearing the, the judgment for sin that we deserved fully God and fully man. And they would put him on that cross and then they would lay him in that tomb and three days later he would rise from the dead. And because he was fully God and he was fully man, then his death satisfied God's judgment against us and his resurrection confirms and validates and vindicates who Jesus is and he calls all people everywhere to turn and put their trust in him. God has brought about his promised salvation in the most unexpected way through the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, who is fully God and fully man. And all of it goes to show us this third and final point that Jesus alone 
can save us from our sin. See, the virgin birth tells us that we couldn't save ourselves. We aren't sufficient to earn God's grace or to merit um, His favor. God uh, is showing us that He's taking the initiative to save us and to redeem us. And He's doing it through Jesus. Jesus alone can save us from our sin. What good news that is. That Jesus alone can save us from our sin. So this is the, the announcement, the reveal of the birth of Jesus. It's the most consequential announcement and reveal in all of human history that God became like us, that God took on flesh and came in Jesus in order to establish his kingdom, not through a coronation, but through an incarnation that would lead to a crucifixion and then a resurrection. And one day, He's going to return and make all things new and complete the work he began through his first advent. How do we respond to this? This is the most consequential question when we think about the birth of Christ is how do we respond to the birth of Christ? How do we respond to to this news of God becoming like us, of Emmanuel, God with us? And and in fact, as you read the Gospel of Luke, I think Luke is pressing that question upon us because of the way that he contrasts the announcement of John's birth and the announcement of Jesus' birth. And we saw in Zechariah this this kind of um, doubt. Uh, We'll talk about that in just a minute and how doubt isn't always bad, but this, uh, this lack of receiving what what God was announcing to Zechariah. And then we see it compared and contrasted with Mary's response. And it raises this question of, of how we should respond to God's unexpected salvation. And there are two points that I, uh, I want to press home to us. The first is we should believe our response to the, uh, the announcement of Jesus' birth, to this coming uh, Savior, this promised salvation, is to believe Now, what kind of belief, though? That's, I think, important. You see, I think sometimes Christians get this rap for being uh, kind of um, uh, backwards and believing, you know, myths and and silly things. And and, and I want to contrast what God's Word calls us to, to the belief that God's Word calls us to, with the naive believism that sometimes gets um, uh, put upon Christians. You see, naive believism is believing something that has no basis in reality. And that's not what God's word calls us to. And the Gospel of Luke in particular is a great example because Luke is writing to this believer named Theophilus to give him certainty, to ground his faith in accordance with what really happened. And he's asked people eyewitness testimony of what's happened. And in fact, as we read uh, the announcement of Jesus' birth, most likely, the most likely source that it comes from is Mary herself. It's Mary telling Luke, about how it all came about. And it's on the basis of this testimony that we're to receive and to believe. You see, the the Bible calls us not to a, a naive believism, but really calls us to believing God for the things that though we can't see, God has given adequate testimony of. I love how R.C. Sproul said it. He said that believing God for things we cannot see is the essence of faith, but it's not an irrational or unscientific faith. See, God makes it very rational for us to believe that he's there. God God has gone to great extent to show himself in the created order. 
If, if you don't see the, the beauty of, of God in the fall of Michigan, I, I, you, you might be blind to, to what God is telling us. He's broken into time and space through the coming of Jesus. We know that he existed. We know that he was real. We have uh, eyewitness testimony of what he said and what he did. The apostles testified about it and wrote it down in the scriptures. He lived. He taught. He died on a cross under Pontius Pilate. They put him in a borrowed tomb. And today we still don't know where his body is. Well, I should... Uh, clarify, nobody can find his body because his body got up. He rose from the dead. And it's on the basis of this testimony that our faith isn't irrational, but God indeed has vindicated himself. He's come in the incarnation and through his crucifixion and his resurrection. We don't have a blind faith, but a faith that embraces testimony. So we're to believe and when I say believe, I also recognize there might be some who are listening who, who say, I, I hear what you're saying. I, I don't think that Christianity is just calling to a blind leap into the dark, but yet maybe there's some doubts that you're wrestling with. Some doubts about maybe what actually happened or some doubts about what it means. Maybe, maybe wrestling with the idea of, of why, why was it necessary for Jesus to come in this way and die on the cross? Am I really a sinner Or maybe you understand these things, but yet there's this sense of the cost of following Jesus. There's some questions about, am I willing to embrace that cost? Doubt isn't always bad. In fact, I think we see it in Mary. Mary questions the angel when he announces that she's going to give birth to a a child. She says, wait a second. How can this be? I'm a virgin. I've never known a man. I've only betrothed. I'm not even married yet. How am I going to give birth to a child? Not, a lot, not even to mention Joseph, whom the Gospel of Matthew tells us when he heard that Mary is pregnant, he secretly and quietly decided in his heart that he was going to divorce her and, and, and move on. And it was God who had to intervene to Joseph and say, no, this is my doing. Take her as your bride. We see this kind of questioning. And, and there's a difference between a doubt that's a sign of a closed mind and a doubt that's a sign of an open mind. You see, I think the doubt that we should all welcome and be comfortable with is a doubt that seeks answers, not a doubt that closes itself off or or acts as a defense against the possibility of an answer. The way we respond to this announcement of of Jesus' birth and to the salvation that Jesus brings is through believing, not a naive believism, not a a doubt that closes itself off to answers, but but receiving the testimony and pondering what it says and receiving it in faith. When you think about what Mary does in response uh, to to all of this, the first uh, thing that I want you to see is that there's a humility there's a, a sense of humility in Mary who says, I don't fully understand, but I trust you. And notice her question. She asked a question just like Zachariah. Zachariah said, how shall I know this? And Mary says, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel's response shows that Mary's questioning isn't from a position of unbelief, but her questioning is one of God. How could this be? I don't understand, but I trust you. There's this humble um, posture that Mary takes towards this news from the angel Gabriel that's coming from God. And then in verse 38, we get her full response when, when she says, Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. 
and the angel departed from her. Not only is there a humility, but there's a submission. Your way, not my way, God. Humility and submission. That's what marked Mary's belief. She received what God was saying. Even when she didn't fully understand, she humbly submitted herself to what God had revealed. I recently came across um, someone who was retelling the story of uh, an experience they had at a Christian camp where the speaker uh, was talking about what it meant to surrender to God and how we can know if we've really surrendered our lives to God. And it was challenging to me, even as a, as a believer, uh, to ask myself, am I humbly allowing God to have his way in my life? Like we see Mary, I'm, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. The speaker said this, he says, there's two questions you can ask yourself. I want you to, to, to think about this for yourself. To know whether or not you're uh, surrendered uh, to God. First, are you willing to obey anything the Bible clearly says to do, whether you like it or not? Are you willing to obey anything that the Bible says to do, whether you like it or not? And second, are you willing to trust God in anything he sends into your life, whether you understand it or not? Are you willing to trust God with whatever he sends into your life, whether you understand it or not? Depending on how we answer those two questions, we can tell if we're really surrendered to God. If we're really taking a a humble posture and and a submission towards God and what he wants to do in our life. Believer, are you fully surrendered to God in your life? Are you willing to do whatever his word clearly says to do, whether you like it or not? Are you willing and actively receiving what he sends into your life, whether you understand it or not? God calls us to believe, to respond to his salvation and belief. And this marks the life of the Christian, that when we walk with God, we not only surrender at the moment of salvation, when we put our trust in him, but as Jesus said, when we come to him, we, we commit to die to ourselves and follow after him, living a life of humble submission to God. But if, you, if you're listening and you're not sure you are a believer, I want you to take encouragement from um, what God's word is, is showing us today. God, God has revealed himself and has given us testimony of who he is and what he's done. To believe in Christ isn't a naive believism. It's not to fall for the gullible. It's not the opium of the masses. It's recorded eyewitness testimony that God became like us in order to save us. Do you have doubts? I want you to know here at TCC, we're a church that welcomes doubts that are seeking answers. We want to walk with you as you ask those questions. But I also know that some of us withhold giving ourselves to God because we're afraid of what it'll mean. We're afraid maybe we can't follow him. We won't be able to live up to it, to the Christian life. Understand here what what God's word is calling us to isn't to, to measure up your life and see if you think you can do a good enough job for God to be pleased with you. It's to understand and to receive that God has done the work. Jesus alone can save God took the initiative to uh, come for us and to rescue us from our sin. Will you receive what he's done for you? 
Will you submit your life to him? And in doing so, find life far better and more abundant than you could ever imagine. That's the invitation that God gives us. And this Advent would be no better time than for you to take God's invitation and respond to it for yourself personally for the first time, confessing your sin and trusting in God's provision for your salvation. I pray that you'll do it today. The Bible tells us that we can put our trust in him by by simply confessing our sins and agreeing with God that he indeed uh, is the only one that can save us, that that he died for our sins and rose from the dead and that we don't want to live for our way anymore. We give ourselves to his way. Not because we can do it in our own strength, because we trust him to help us to do what he calls us to do. Would you do that today? Would you pray and trust in Christ for yourself today? That's how we're called to respond to this salvation, is to believe. But there's this interesting part before we get to the the, the second response, uh, where Mary goes to visit Elizabeth. And it says that in verse 39... Um, Mary goes uh, and, and went in haste to the hill country, to the town in Judah. Uh, and there she went to Zechariah and Elizabeth's house. Remember, Gabriel told uh, Mary that Elizabeth, who is barren, has, um, has conceived as well and is with child. And Mary's like, how can this be? And the angel says, look, with, with, um, it, nothing is impossible with God, is what the angel says. If God can do this with, uh, with this barren woman, Elizabeth, uh, and God can do this miraculously, supernaturally through Mary, what can God not do? And so Mary takes off. And it says in verse 41 that when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. She exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women. And notice what insight that she responds with. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. Why is it that the Lord has granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Elizabeth knows that the child that Mary is carrying is no uh, just another child. It's her Lord, Emmanuel, God with us, the Son of the Most High who's come. And verse 44, Behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her. Mary believed. We see the confirmation of that. But let me ask you this question. What can strengthen our faith? Are believing as God's people. I, I think it's not an accident, but I think what strengthens our believing is being with God's people. You see, we, we see how God uses Mary, uh, uses Elizabeth to strengthen and confirm Mary's belief. But it also says that Mary, <clears throat> um, in verse 56, Mary remained with Elizabeth for three months which most likely means she remained with Elizabeth until John was born, and then she returned home. See, I can just imagine how Elizabeth strengthened the faith and the resolve of Mary, who was so young and so uncertain by, by rejoicing in her arrival and, and, and declaring that God had blessed her and that she was with child and with the Son of God. How that must have encouraged Mary but also how Mary's coming to Elizabeth must have been uh, such a refreshment and an encouragement 
to Elizabeth, who no doubt was filled with joy and yet who had to be weary from waiting and waiting and the, the stigma and the, and the shame that she bore from being barren, how much it must have blessed her. It says that Elizabeth was in hiding for five months after uh, she became pregnant because uh, no one would believe what had taken place. And, and Mary's most likely one of the first people who comes and greets her. And how it is that God uses his people to strengthen the faith of other believers. We need one another. I'm convinced of this as a church. We need to be together as God's people. Now, we've said continually and will continue to to do so that as a church we recognize we are facing unique uh, and uncertain times and we are doing everything we can to care well for everyone, to protect everyone, to make the hearing of God's word and and discipleship and community as accessible and virtual for all of us. But I, I want to challenge and encourage us at the same time uh, in this time not to grow weary of finding ways to be with each other. That may not always be in person. But let's not neglect the opportunity that comes to us through small group, even in a virtual manner, or through a discipleship opportunities. I was so encouraged this Friday. Seven of the men of our church gathered to pray on Friday morning just to hear their prayers, just to hear what God was doing in their life, how much it was a blessing and an encouragement and a refresher to my faith. We have opportunities through book studies and equip classes and other resources that we're seeking to make available. Let's commit ourselves, even in this unique time, to be intentional with God's people, to give ourselves to one another. Not just presence, but specifically what we see Mary and Elizabeth do is the affirmation of their words that spiritually strengthened and encouraged one another. And as we head into the new year and we seek to regather as a church, We know that there will be some who will be unable, who will be uncertain to gather. But as we regather, let's not forget how God has designed us as a people to to gather, to worship, to hear the preaching of his word, to partake of the Lord's Supper and believers' baptism. And let's be encouraged and reminded today of how God uses his people, uses the church to strengthen and nourish our faith. It was true for Mary and Elizabeth, and it's true for us. God calls us to respond to his salvation by believing, but he also calls us to rejoice. We see this in Mary's song in verse 46. It says that Mary, in response to Elizabeth's greeting of her, says, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done a great thing for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him. And from generation to generation, he's shown the strength with his arm. He's scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. And he's brought down the mighty from their thrones. And he's exalted those of humble estate. He's filled the hungry with good things. And the rich he sent away empty. He's helped the servant, his servant Israel, in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers to Abraham and to his offspring forever. We're called to rejoice. I think we delight to praise, C.S. Lewis said. We delight to praise what we enjoy because praise is not merely um, expressing what we enjoy, but it's completing our enjoyment. It's appointed consummation. So in other words, what he's saying is, is when we praise God, we're not just 
we're, we're not just expressing that we're satisfied in God, but it's the, the culmination of it, the completion of our heart satisfaction in God gives way to praise, gives way to rejoicing. And what do we rejoice in? What should our hearts be satisfied in when we think about God? Mary's song shows us, and it shows us that she rejoiced in God's power. I love the summary uh, in there in verse 49. Um, <clears throat> for he who is mighty has done great things for me. She rejoices in, in God's strength and the strength of his arm that has brought about salvation. And Mary recognizes that she is weak, but God is mighty. She rejoices not only in God's power, but in his holiness. Holy is his name. God is completely other. God is, is set apart in every way, perfect and glorious in every way. He sits high. He is holy, but he looks low. Not only does she rejoice in God's holiness, but she rejoices in God's mercy because he looks upon her in her humble estate. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. It says that God has acted in remembrance of his mercy. I love, I love the psalmist who says that uh, God doesn't treat us according to our sins, but he's merciful to us. And he doesn't remember our sins. It's not that he forgets them. It's that he chooses not to hold them against us. And what a testimony of his mercy that instead of remembering our sins, he remembers his mercy. And he doesn't hold our sins against us. And we ultimately can see, say and see how God does that because God sends his son in remembrance of his mercy. And it would be his son who would take our sins upon himself. Mary is showing us that not only do we believe, but our belief gives way to rejoicing. It gives way to praise, praising God for his power and his holiness. See, when we rejoice, we're confessing what we believe. It's the, uh, the completion of our enjoyment in God. And, and one of the, the things for, for me, as I think about Advent, there's this real sense in Advent where um, we see this in Mary, how she treasures things in her heart. She just stopped and really dwelt on what God had done. That's what I want to encourage us to do this Advent. To really, I, I love the, the time that I have to, um, and this Advent we've been doing our, our Advent blocks with our kids in the morning and we will sing a hymn, a Christmas hymn, Advent hymn after we do our devotion. And I just treasure that in my heart, how not just special it is as a family, but how I'm richly reminded of who God is, how he meets me even in the midst of that, and how as I am reflecting on uh, Luke 1 through 2 and reading in the Advent devotion and just reflecting on how God has brought about this unexpected salvation, that I'm just treasuring God in my heart, rejoicing in Him. My prayer is that we, we come out of Advent with a, with a deeper and more sustained rejoicing in our life. Do you have that? Are you seeking that this Advent? I think that's what we need. One of the reasons we've transitioned to even just doing worship in our host homes is because we don't want worship just to be another thing that's happening that we're watching on a screen. 
But we want to engage with our full hearts and our full minds to give praise to God, thinking on, our, on what we're singing and thinking on God who's worthy of our praise. And we can do that in our individual lives as well, not only in our corporate gathering. Our worship, our praise is this culmination of our delight in God, a confession of what we believe, that he's great in power and holiness and mercy. I also, I also like to say that worship is not only a confession of what we believe, but it's also a plea. It's a plea to God to help us believe. And here's what I also recognize at Advent, that we can get discouraged, we can get busy, and this particular Advent season is, is marked by fear and uncertainty and discouragement. And sometimes our worship isn't just, it doesn't feel like this culmination of belief and praise and enjoyment of God, but instead it seems like this, this humble plea that we're squeaking out saying, God, help me in my unbelief. God, help me to believe rightly. Help me to enjoy you. Sometimes we need to praise our way, rejoice our way out of discouragement. Are you rejoicing today, whether as a confession of your belief or as a plea for the Lord to help you in your unbelief? We respond to to the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ through believing and rejoicing. And this Advent, I pray that God grows us deeper and more sturdy and more sure in both our belief and our rejoicing. Let's pray.